Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 49, recorded on November 20th, 2019. Twas the night before reInvent. Well, uh, it's been a long uh, 10 minutes, guys. Uh, how's it going? I'm as good as it was 11 minutes ago, I think. I think so, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, <laughs> so just to uh, fill people in here on what's going on, uh, we are taking next week off because it's the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, but it's also the week before reInvent. And so we decided, because uh, AWS is just clearing the baffles here before the big announcements of reInvent, and they had so much news this week that we would record next week's so week early and just make it an AWS-focused show. Our post-reInvent show will also be an AWS-focused show. So everything that happens between now and the next two weeks on Google and GCP and Azure, uh, we will cover in the first show after reInvent uh, post-show. So it'll be sometime mid-December, we'll do a big catch-up show on Azure and GCP and whatever's going on at AWS, which will be pretty quiet by that point because they'll have, have given up on all their announcements by that point, hopefully, <laughs> and yeah. catch up. So that is our plan as we head into reInvent here. Uh, so if you're looking for GCP or Azure, I'm sorry, we won't really have much for you today, uh, but we will catch you back up uh, on the flip side of reInvent because it's a big event with a lot of announcements that will take up a full uh, a full show, and uh, we prefer not to make you listen to a two-hour podcast. So that's uh, that's our take here at the from the editor board of the podcast. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and I'm sure there'll be a, a, a ton of announcements at reInvent, but my God, there have been so many announcements this week pre-reInvent. It's uh, it's just unimaginable what they're going to announce next, uh, you know, in, in a couple of weeks' time, given the stuff that they're giving away right now. Like, I mean, how many announcements were there today, Justin, for, just from AWS? It, oh, it was, it was like 42 announcements today. Just, you yeah. know, and, and some of them are like, you know, adding services to regions and the typical BS they do around that. But, um, you know, I, I think we talked about maybe three or four weeks ago that I was saying it was a little quiet, um, you know, before reInvent and that there wasn't a lot of news. And I think I jinxed us because it's <laughs> yeah. been just nonstop now for the last two weeks <laughs> uh, on AWS story. So uh, unfortunately what's happened this week though, is they've announced stuff that I actually had in my draft picks, yep. uh, which was a big bummer. Uh, but also kind of, but you know, the fact that they were picked here, uh, you know, and were not worthy of making the keynote stage was, was pretty impressive. So I'm, I'm very curious now to see what they announce uh, since I had some pretty good guesses. I felt like in my, my predictions. Yeah, definitely. And we can, we can, I guess, get into that a little bit later before the, uh, the draft. Yes, yes, we'll get into that. Uh, well, we'll talk about it when we hit those stories. So the first one up is the uh, CloudFormation update. Uh, this is a new CLI, a third-party resource support, and a registry. Uh, you know, as we talked about, I think in the summertime, there was a big uh, kerfuffle about CloudFormation and how out of date it was, and Jeff Barr kind of responded to that by doing a big interview with the CloudFormation team. Um, after they were thrown under the bus on Reddit. Uh, and then you know, some of the most frequent requests that customers made uh, to improve CloudFormation were things like performance, uh, coverage, and extensibility. And so he re- you know, reiterates that they've made a 30% improvement in performance of the ops performed by CloudFormation. Uh, they've in- worked hard to increase limits and soft limits and hard limits, so you don't run into as many of those. Uh, 43 issues on their CloudFormation public roadmap have been closed uh, for new features. Uh, and extensibility... Uh, the customers have wanted that ability to automate the creation of non-AWS resources, and so there's some that we're talking about in this post. Uh, so today, they are announcing features uh, to address requests for more coverage and better extensibility of the CloudFormation CLI as an OSS project. The new CLI tool gives you everything you need to build your own resource providers, including detailed documentation and sample code. Uh, this is now the CFN command. 
this helps you to initialize your project, generate skeleton code, test your provider, and register it with CloudFormation. The CloudFormation registry provides per account per region storage for your resource providers, and you can access it via the CloudFormation console or via code. And third parties have already embraced this capability to create resource providers ahead of the launch, including Atlassian, Datadog, Densify, Dynatrace, Fortinet, New Relic, and Spotinst. Awesome, really. Um, I mean, if it was three years ago, I might not have moved to Terraform. <laughs> well, yeah, right. I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. But I, I guess at Amazon see that they have plenty more customers, new customers that didn't get exposed to CloudFormation in its, in its crappy state years ago. And so at least they've got a good starting point now, but but resource providers uh, look very much Terraform-like. Um, I, I hope the, the complexity of, of the difference between you know the serverless model and this new CloudFormation XLI thing is, is, uh, is not just making it even more difficult to sort of get started. I'm definitely uh, curious to see how complicated some of these things are, especially their resources. But um, yeah, I, I agree that it is... Been more of a challenge to get started, and some of these are also good simplifications, and so I think it's a it's a benefit both ways. But actually, um, to Jeff's point about um, you know, number of ops performed and, and the efficiency of CloudFormation, so I've been deploying uh, an environment today to do some DR tests tomorrow, and um, the speed of CloudFormation in general to deploy its resources has definitely improved over you know six months ago. So I'm uh, I'm kind of it, it's. It was surprisingly fast. That's funny because I was doing some CloudFront work and I was complaining about how slow it still was the other day. CloudFront, <laughs> CloudFront still has some room for room for uh, improvement for sure. <laughs> it's a, any any improvement would be improvement at this point with CloudFront. Yeah, even even just like a a, a development CloudFront uh, region, you know, like you know they have the different tiers, like the one hundred, two hundred, four hundred tiers, where where it's just US only or US in Canada or US in Europe, and then they include Asia in the last one. It, it costs more depending on the scope of the distribution. I, I wish it was like just a single developer only region just for testing, which is just like one US pop or something like that, which would be very fast to deploy because it really sucks when you're doing some kind of uh, automated testing to, to try and deploy a CloudFront distribution and it takes 15 minutes to do a test that should take two minutes. They need to either make it asynchronous so it doesn't require that all of the pops get the code first and that you understand it takes a little while for it to fully distribute and you can monitor and track it or you just acknowledge that I'm willing to take that trade-off that I don't need it and I can make that decision at deploy time if I want it fully deployed before it's available or if I want it partially available as it deploys. And I think that's mm. the two the two choices that should be there. But I digress. We're talking about CloudFormation here, <laughs> which hey. is heavily heavily impacted by Cloud uh, CloudFront being slow because that does slow down everything. Yep. Well, I, I I think features like this get me thinking so much about all the creative things you can do with it. Just so open ended. Uh, I wish we had. I wish I didn't have my hands so full with all of our customers because it would be super fun to have some sort of foghorn um, custom providers out there for some of the stuff we've built. Yeah, you guys could build out some some great stuff and for Fog Source. Yeah. Moving on to the next story, uh, they are announcing the new Fire Lens. Uh, Fire Lens is a tool that makes dealing with logs so much easier in containers. Uh, FireLens customers can direct container logs to storage and analytics tools without modifying code deployment scripts, mainly installing extra software or writing additional code. Uh, FireLens works with FluentBit or FluentD, which means you can send logs to any destination supported by either of those OSS projects. Uh, this is a big benefit because it gets you away from sending your logs to CloudWatch logs first um, and then to uh, onto your 
third-party service like Elasticsearch or whatever else you send logs to. Uh, so this is a good way to avoid that cost and that tax of CloudWatch uh, for your container infrastructure. And I'm super glad to see this one uh, is there because uh, some of the other options just weren't as good as uh, being able to natively send this directly to something like Elasticsearch. And it's such a lowest common denominator service that everybody requires. Yeah, now a friend of the show, Ryan, Lucas is telling me it's, it actually deploys a sidecar um, to the containers, and that's how it does this magic, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind the sidecar if it can support you know an entire service, which apparently it can. So you have multiple tasks inside the service. That one sidecar will service all of those, um, which is pretty helpful. So nice. Thanks for that, uh, Ryan. As you listen to the show later. Yeah. Uh, there's a new AMD-powered compute-optimized EC2 instances coming. Uh, these are the new Epic Rome processors, uh, running at frequencies as high as 3.3 gigahertz. Uh, these compute-optimized instances can run your batch processing, distributed analytics, web apps, or other compute-intensive workloads. Uh, instances will come in eight different sizes when they launch, and also in bare metal form, with up to 192 vCPUs and 384 gigs of memory. Uh, and the C5AD instances will include up to 7.6 terabytes of fast local NVMe storage. Uh, making them perfect for video encoding, image manipulation, and other media processing workloads. Uh, the bare metal variants will also offer 100 gigabits of network bandwidth and can be compatible with Elastic Fabric Adapter, perfect for your most demanding HPC workloads. I get lost with all the new unit, with all the new instance types. It's incredible. I, I need them to give me ML AI to help me pick the instance size I should, or yeah. instance type <laughs> I should use. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. I, I like the diversity. I, I like that they're not just sourcing, um, you know, Intel uh, CPUs. They have their own Graviton CPUs still, and now they've got the MD Epic processors. So, you know, in, in case of some severe bug, you know, critical flaw in, in the CPU, at least you've got something that you can fail over to, which doesn't have that kind of vulnerability. So it's it's good. Less eggs in one basket. Yeah. Amazon EKS has finally gotten the feature that I desperately wanted when it launched. Uh, they've added support for provisioning and managing Kubernetes worker nodes. Uh, you can now easily manage worker nodes for Amazon ECAS clusters and keep them up to date using ECAS Management Console, APIs, or the CLI. With the ECAS Managed node groups, you don't need to separately provision or connect EC2 instances that provide compute capacity to render Kubernetes com uh, container application. Uh, you can create, update, or terminate the nodes uh, with a single command, and nodes run using the latest ECAS-optimized AMI in your AWS account, while nodes updates and terminations gracefully to drain nodes off of them. We just got asked to build that uh, node draining functionality. Uh, we actually about that last week, too. That was a, a feature they announced for ECS as well. Was, uh... I love it when work gets taken away. It's so great when you don't have to build something that someone else built for you. <laughs> so EKS only previously managed the, the masters. Yes. Previously, they only, only handled the masters, which was a, a redundant pair of masters, and they handled all the failover and updating and patching of that as you requested. Huh. Uh, but then if you wanted to do Kubernetes nodes attached to it, you had to uh, deploy them, you know, for CloudFormation, and the, there's a bunch of cloud init commands you had to run to basically get them to register with the EKS master. And it was kind of a pain uh, when if you're really just trying to, you know, do something simple, uh, it got much more complicated than I would like. I, I really hope this is uh, a hint as to what may be coming at reInvent because... That's my, my uh, hope as well. Yeah, I mean, a, a managed Kubernetes service sh should manage all the things. <laughs> <laughs> not, not just one little one little piece. Uh, yeah, cool. AWS Systems Manager Explorer is a new multi-account, multi-regional operations dashboard. The AWS Systems Manager Explorer uh, allows you to collect monitoring data from EC2, Config, CloudWatch, and Systems Manager, uh, and present it in an intuitive graphical dashboard that lets you quickly view and browse problems affecting your resources across your entire organization. 
or subset of accounts. Uh, so this is a very nice tool for your SRE teams or your NOC teams uh, to keep an eye on what's happening across your cloud environment. You know, I, I feel kind of burned on the CloudWatch cross account and cross-region dashboards because we, we briefly talked about that last show and I was going to go off and do some research and I did do some research. I remember we were going to talk, we were going to sort of look into what happened if there was a region failure and the CloudWatch um, dashboard was configured for multi-region. Well, it turns out that CloudWatch multi-region dashboards don't actually aggregate data from multiple regions. You literally just get to pick which region you're looking at. Um, at any particular point in time. So I just, I don't really see the value in that. So I, I kind of hope that this multi-region dashboard actually aggregates data for you and gives you a complete view of, of what you have running rather than actually just giving you a, uh, the option to switch between regions from one particular console. I wonder if that's because, though, I mean, in order to aggregate it, then you start dealing with data sovereignty issues and people need to be able to disable that service if data can't leave the region yeah potentially and I, th I think it's also a, a sort of a, a bit of tension between the desire to run completely isolated regional services and obviously customers want to, to, a view on their entire deployment switch cross regions so I, th I think amazon are in a, in a bit of a rock and a hard place situation where they they don't want to have to implement the model that customers are asking them for for this kind of visibility but it's it's difficult for them to to not really yeah yeah, it just depends on your use case. Why are you, why are you in different regions? For some people, they value that isolation. For other people, it's just about getting close to the customers, and they would rather have a unified control plane. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess it depends. Like, are you in multiple regions for high availability, or for disaster recovery, or for just proximity to your to your customers? And when you report on that, do you want to report per region, or do you want to report on the customer base as a whole? It's um. It's very much dependent on the use case for sure. Mm -hmm. Can't please all the people all the time. Definitely not. I mean, you could certainly pull all those CloudWatch metrics out from every region and aggregate them in some other tool, whether it's Elasticsearch or something else. So there are already options for you if this doesn't meet your needs. But yeah, I, I, I do admire the um, Amazon sticking their guns over regional isolation. Oh, I do too. Especially with some of the big outages that have happened with Azure and Google recently. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod. www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Application Load Balancer has simplified deployment with a new weighted target group. Uh, AWS is announcing weighted target groups for ALB. It allows developers to control how to distribute traffic to multiple versions of their application. Uh, this allows you to deploy changes to blue-green and distribute some traffic to one or the other in a very uh, simplified testing framework. Uh, previously, you could only do this via Route 53 uh, and multiple ALBs, and so this is a very nice uh, feature. Yay, finally. <laughs> it sounds like a little bit also like canary testing, right? Yeah, you could do the same thing with canary, sure. Sweet.
Uh, so the next story is uh, sad for me because this was my number one draft pick choice. Mine too. Yeah, I was ahead of you. You're not sad. I'm sad because I beat you in the roll. That's right, my you did. <laughs> one of us, one of us was going to say this, but uh, so Amazon has added defense in depth against open firewalls, reverse proxies, and SSRF vulnerabilities with enhancements to the EC2 instance metadata service. Uh, AWS is launching V2 of the EC2 instance metadata service. Uh, the current version is still fully secure and supported, uh, and so you can make your decision when you want to move from V1 to V2, uh, which would ideally be after all your tools update to support that. Uh, IMVD, <laughs> IMDS V2, as they call it, uh, adds new belt and suspenders protections for four types of vulnerabilities that could be used to try and access uh, the metadata service. These new enhancements go well beyond other types of mitigations while working seamlessly with existing mitigations, such as restricting IAM roles, and using local firewall rules to restrict access. The new metadata service moves every request to, protected, uh, to be protected by session authentication. The software starts a session with a simple HTTP put request to the uh, metadata service. The metadata service returns a secret token to the software running on the EC2 instance, which will use a token as a password to make requests to the metadata service and credentials. The token is never stored by the uh, IMDS v2 and can never be retrieved by subsequent calls, so the session and its token are effectively destroyed when the process using the token terminates. Uh, sessions can last up to six hours, and are, and for added security, a session token can only be used directly from an EC2 instance where the session began. Uh, the AWS SDK and CLI tools are already being updated to support this new metadata service. And then they basically break it down into the different scenarios that these are protecting you from. So the first one is a open WAF, uh, which is a large risk, uh, and Capital One is very aware of this one. Uh, <laughs> and by using a put method that no WAF typically supports, uh, today, this avoids the risk of a WAF exposing the metadata service. The system will not issue session tokens to any caller with an X forwarded for address, which will avoid an open reverse proxy being used. Uh, and the combination of a session put request requiring the secret session token on future requests in AWS testing addresses almost all current SSRF vulnerabilities in the MART wild today. And then the final protection is for the open layer 3 firewalls, NAT devices, VPNs, or tunnels. Uh, by default, the put response containing the secret token will, by default, not be able to travel outside the instance. This is accomplished by setting the default TTL on the low-level IP packets containing the secret token to 1. Uh, these are available today. Uh, you can also restrict your instances to only leverage the V2 uh, metadata service if you like. And this is done through an IAM role change. Uh, and there's a new CloudWatch metric available to you today that allow you to see how many uh, V1 calls your services are using before you make that change. And that is uh, a pretty fantastic update to address a long-standing issue in SSRF. It is, and I'm really impressed by the the, the lengths they've gone to, to to try and protect the metadata service because it really is a very difficult thing to protect. You, at some point, you need to trust something. You can you can you know just like you can encrypt the passwords with other passwords, but at some point, you need to have some kind of key which unlocks all this magic. The metadata service is particularly difficult to secure. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the, the requiring the put request is definitely going to solve the proxy and the WAF uh, configuration thing. Uh, the, the TTL of one for those um, IP packets is interesting, but I, I don't know in what scenario that would really be relevant unless, unless your instance was actually configured to root packets from outside to the local metadata service. That doesn't seem particularly relevant, but it's very novel uh, solution just in case that was a risk. But I, I absolutely love being able to just turn off the metadata service completely for things that don't need it because you run things like proxy servers or uh, just, just dumb things that don't require access to Amazon APIs anymore once they boot it up. 
and um, you can just completely lock it down. That's fantastic. Very, very happy. And it was also my top pick for the draft. <laughs> <laughs> also, the other thing I thought was interesting was that they won't allow these credentials to be used um, outside of AWS, which is one of the other ways that these were exploited in the past. So, yeah, uh, I forgot to mention as I ran through the long list of enhancements that were provided here. But yeah, uh, super, super happy to see this, and I, I can't wait to start using V2 in a serious way. Uh, I think it's just a good protection. But uh, do do use that new CloudWatch metric. I think it'll help you <laughs> in a big way to make sure that you're not, um, you know, not going to accidentally break an application running in your system. The preventing those credentials that you get from the SDS service locally from being used outside of the instance they were issued to is um, is critical, because uh, everything about the CloudWatch metric. It only takes one call to get credentials right now, and then you can use them elsewhere. So, so um, you know, reporting on one call is, is particularly useless. But if um, you know, if you prevent the credentials being used from outside the instance, then that's that really is a showstopper for anyone stealing stealing tokens and using them repeatedly from outside. The AWS Storage Day was uh, today, November twentieth. Uh, they announced several new features for storage solutions, and this was all done in advance of reInvent, and they actually said to clear the decks for reInvent announcements. Uh, the first one is a fast snapshot uh, restore for EBS. This is a fully performant EBS volume after restore from snapshot, so it'll basically uh, determine how the EBS was configured at the time of snapshot and save that in its metadata, and when you recover it, it'll be recovered in the same configuration, so you get the same throughput you had uh, when it was snapshotted. The FSX for Windows Server uh, has a new list of Windows capabilities, including Active Directory integration, encryption, uh, deduplication, and, and many, many more features. So if you've been looking at FSX for Windows uh, and were unhappy with some of its integrations with AD and things, uh, this is a great feature. And so I definitely check that out. The EFS uh, is now available in all global regions. Uh, AWS has, uh, Data Sync has received several cost reductions uh, to reduce the cost of data syncing between devices in the cloud or on-premise. And the storage gateway now supports HA, uh, both on AWS and on-premise. And they've added an SLA for the S3 storage replication services, um, all announcements coming out of storage day today. Those are already actually very good. Um, the, the fast snapshot restore is, I think that the existing model was to kind of lazy load the blocks. As, as the EBS volume started to use them from the snapshot, it would, it would fetch them from the snapshot and populate those blocks, which is particularly crappy. Um, especially if you're sort of like auto scaling based on snapshots, so this this should really speed up auto scaling for um, for people with custom MIs. And the SLA for storage replication is great. This has been one of our feature requests for a long time because um, your application relying on data being available in two regions for very fast recovery point objectives is um, is fairly common, I think. And but having no SLA to that service has been has been pretty difficult. It means people have gone off and architected their own solutions to this. So having a platform solution solving this globally for everybody is is awesome. Yeah, and tying that to an SLA of 99%, uh, 99.99% of objects will be replicated within 15 minutes after upload. Uh, that's a pretty pretty great uh, SLA, especially in a DR, RPO, RTO scenario. So yeah. It's difficult because the size of the object matters immensely, obviously, and how fast it can be replicated between regions. But um, at, at, at least initiating the transfer within a certain time frame would have satisfied me but as it was today like that that event for a s3 put could have stayed in the queue for any length of time because the fast snapshot restore didn't exist last year i almost missed a flight out of berlin and uh the year before that we 
like had an architect an entire horrible janky solution for a customer who was sort of locked in a in a snapshot model so i think that is going to have huge uh ramifications positive ramifications for lots of people who in certain use cases um yeah that one i think is going to be huge i i feel like it's a a precursor to something else that will be announced Ooh, is it going to be a prediction it may be on my list of things which didn't make my top three. All right. Yeah. We'll find out. <laughs> and then our uh, our final story is uh, you can now continuously monitor unused IAM roles with AWS Config. Uh, this allows you to basically track the last time an IAM role was used. You can set the number of days that you care about. So let's say 60 days in, in this example. Uh, second, you know, let's say you use a Lambda to process the role. Uh, you can basically determine that you know it wasn't used in the last you know, 45 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever. It can basically flag that to you uh, as part of config. As it'll go, I'll report to config, and you can alert on that. And then you can also take automated actions to disable the capabilities of that role if you wish to do so in the future. So this is similar to some of the things we've been seeing with Google and Azure, actually, uh, where you're trying to provide more machine learning and more capabilities to reduce uh, the damage footprint. Uh, but this is at a role level, which I think is a little bit better than a particular function of a role, uh, but I'm glad to see uh, this coming out. Yeah, we've always monitored users uh, for, you know, last activity time and the age of keys and things like this, so it's it's a natural progression to implement this kind of feature for roles, and it's good to have it in config. It was always in CloudTrail anyway, if you really wanted to dig for the information. Yep, yep. And many tools do that, like CloudSploit and others. That That's one of the features they have, is telling you last time a role was used and, and what it's used for. So Yeah. It's good to see that being native to the platform now. Yeah, definitely. All right, moving on to the draft. So again, before the show, we rolled the dice and Jonathan won uh, the pick. So he is first this week. Uh, Peter is second and I am third. Uh, so we will see how we do here. I uh, I did some crowdsourcing on some of my predictions here as well as I have some ideas. Uh, but unfortunately, AWS uh, killed many of them. So I'm sad about that. But uh, we'll see how we all do here on our draft once again. All right, Jonathan, you are up with the first pick of the draft. I, I've had to replace two of my top three picks because of announcements in the last few days. So my first prediction is, oh, this is tough. Do I go with my number one or number two? Because it's, it's like it's like a game of poker right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the zero code application platform. Mm, yes, good choice. All right, that puts Peter on the board. Peter, what is your first pick? My first pick is pretty much my only pick, but we'll see if I can come up with something else before the next round. Um, and I'm going to recycle one I used last year that didn't come true and still doesn't exist, um, which is a layer seven egress filtering gateway. Wow. All right. Oh, that would be nice. That would be yeah, nice. Yeah, right? I've been waiting for yeah, this yeah. thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm so tired of building it. I really want to stop building it. <laughs> We should have the draft, and then we should have the things that we really wish they would exist, even if we don't think it's going to come. <laughs> All right, that puts me on the board. And I believe that I'm going to go with a cost reduction on the network tier. Oh, Ooh, no. You've been waiting for the Talk about something you've been waiting for. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, I think there's been enough noise, and Amazon's heard enough about it, that this is the year that we're going to get a cost reduction of the network in some way. 
That's my take. Especially after uh, Corey and his uh, analysis of the cross-lazy traffic unrevealed that it's not a cent per gig, it's a cent per gig in and a cent per gig out of every AZ. So it effectively doubles what people thought the costs were going to be. So yeah, I, I hope they responded to that. I hope so too. That was one of my picks. I'm going to have to bump uh, my number four to number three now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jonathan, you're on number two for your second pick. Number two, I think um, there will be some kind of response to Anthos. I think there'll be an Anthos-like hybrid or multi-cloud application platform. All right, we will see. I mean, Amazon is very, very anti-vendors and partners admitting there's another cloud that exists other than AWS. So for AWS to do it would be interesting. But so we'll still, see. but something, even, even Anthos is really aimed at on-prem plus Google. And I think Amazon could do the same thing with on-prem plus AWS. Peter, you're number two. I'm going to go with CloudWatch. Basically, dependency mapping, i.e. you can basically mute uh, alerts if they're downstream from from an alert that goes off to stop the... Uh, oh, okay. So like if the database server goes down and it takes application down, it, it yeah. only reports... You don't get alerted sense. for the app and you the don't database. get 100 alerts. Get, yeah. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Okay, I I got that one. That makes sense. That is probably a excellent choice. I am going to go with some type of device or robot or drone with a camera attached to it, which will replace the Deep Racer this year as a new Ooh. competition. Hmm. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> but they only just started to ship the Deep Racers, though, so... It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's still last year's thing. I think this year will be something. That's my take. Wow. Okay. I'm very torn for my last pick now because I, I have three reasonable wishes. I think maybe okay. we'll maybe we'll like address the uh, the things that did make the top three after we've finished the draft. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so I think we're going to get transit gateway announcements for cross regional support and security group support. Cross regional and what? So you can actually reference security groups in other people's VPCs. Interesting. All right. That's a good one. I don't, I don't like that word, and. I think it's transit gateway. I think definitely cross-region, and I would like security group support. But How I'd about like, and or? And or. Like, yeah, and or. I, I'll, I'll be happy that with that. If, if, if you got the first one, I would give you the point, but I, I hear your, your stickler for the rules, and I appreciate that, and yes. so yeah. I'll give you the and or. How's that? Yep. And I'm being very mindful this time that this is all stuff on the keynote stages, not, yes, not, all keynote not general uh, announcements. Yeah. Yes, indeed. All right, Peter, your final pick. I have a question before I pick. Oh, okay. Okay, no, no, no. I got it. I got it. I, I'm going to... Has Outpost shipped? It has not shipped. <laughs> this this, this going to be so, my third. That's my number four. Yeah, I'm going to go with... <laughs> I'm going to go with Outpost going GA and shipping. Yep. GA and shipping. Uh, and slash or. <laughs> <laughs> and or shipping. We're shipping. Uh, it's not GA yet, but we're shipping it all over the place. Uh, I was I was going to go with um, that they would announce Outposts and the pricing for Outposts. Uh, that was how I was going to word it, but uh, I'll, I'll take Outpost GA and or shipping. That is very good. Uh, that one killed my third choice. So <laughs> Sorry, <I'm> man. <laughs> Now I have to now I have to think about this for for just a few moments. I was here. struggling. <laughs> I'll need a Jeopardy theme here to. Uh... Oh.
right, give me, give me minimal memento here. So that ends up. I am going to go for a pick around security. I'm going to say some type of visual threat modeling detection capability for their security tool. Ooh, visual. I like that distinction. Otherwise, it's too generic. Oh, yeah, I wanted to pick a security thing. I'm sure they're going to double down security. It's, it's on everyone's mind right now, but I couldn't quite figure out. Like They've already got tools that cover most things i mean i i've i've guessed a sim i guess a sim at reinforce right and yeah I, and then but i've kind of looked at security hub and i looked at, at guard duty and i i kind of see how that's kind of their answer to a sim they've got elastic searches of service for logging i can kind of see but i think a visual way to kind of put all that together as a threat model i think that would be really interesting and revolutionary and that's why i'm going with that for my third pick all right, what are you guys' uh, runner-ups that didn't make your top three? I, I got two, which which were kind of like, eh, edge cases. I I think given the, the switch to um, sort of like the per VP, VCPU limits per account or per region, I think we may see a la carte instances where you can deploy any combination of CPU and memory. Okay, I think that's a great call. And my second was... Um, perpetual free small instances to match oracles offering oh a perpetual free tier yeah just yes. because they hate larry Ellison. <laughs> they didn't they didn't like being picked on about that one i'm sure <laughs> absolutely not so yeah th- those, those are my two extras i didn't think it was good enough for top three but uh, i do think a a cloudfront uh deploy or dev mode is definitely in the cards mm-hmm. i also expect to see a lot more of these kind of organizational level features. I think this is the big year of organization. So I thought about doing a couple of different organizations items, but I, I just decided to kind of go with something more specific. Uh, but I do expect to see a lot of organization features. Uh, you're already seeing a couple kind of in advance come out with the, the SSM roll-up, the CloudWatch roll-up. I just I think this is the big year of organizations. Yep. How about you, Peter? Do you have any runner-ups or anything that you didn't feel was quite worthy for your sure. list? Sure. I'll throw another one in there. I'll say we are going to see on stage a Formula One personality. Ooh. Ooh. I, I did mention last year that it would be very much fun to see uh, a robo car, Amazon robo car, navigating an F1 car around a track. So that would be an amazing demo on stage. And uh, for a final wildcard pick for all of you, uh, what is your guess on the artist? for the main for replay this year. I have to think about that for a minute. It won't be Skrillex again. It will not be Skrillex again. So I can... I think an international artist. I I can't like Calvin Harris, be honest. Calvin Harris, okay. Yeah. Peter, do you do you know anyone in the EDM space? Sure, I'm going to go with the Licks. Who? <laughs> the Licks. The Licks? Yeah. Like as in I'm licking you. <laughs> it's a You ever heard of the Licks? You got to be kidding me. I mean, it's a, it's a Rolling Stones cover band from Kansas. Oh, City. so you're 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 going for a band? <laughs> oh, see, that's where I was confused. I we're talking about main stage, but you're going for just the, because okay. just oh, because oh. since I'm not going to get it right, I might as well give uh, um, give a plug to the Licks, hmm. who are a Rolling Stones cover band from Kansas City that I like. <laughs> so I, I actually have I have three high contenders that I have to pick one from. <laughs> so since you guys already picked, I can tell you what my three choices are that I'm, I'm debating. I'm debating between Swedish House Mafia, Marshmallow, oh, 
and David and David Guetta. Uh, and maybe the Chainsmokers, but I think the Chainsmokers is a little too mainstream for Warner. So I'm probably leaning more towards David Guetta than I am towards Swedish House Mafia or Marshmallow. Because I feel like he could have done Marshmallow a couple of years ago when they were huge, uh, and uh, he didn't make that card. And uh, our other friend of the show, Anthony, uh, who we work with, is a is a big Marshmallow hater, so he would he would hurt us if we, we picked Marshmallow. So I'm going to pick. I'm changing mine to Marshmallow if you don't take it. Uh, you can you can have Marshmallow. I'll, yes, I'll give you the I'll links too if you get that one. So okay, great. Well, that is the draft. Let's hope we do it better than we did at Ignite Conference. <laughs> <laughs> at least, uh, let's say especially for Jonathan. Let's, uh, let's not let's... hope for us. Let's not hope for us that we do better. Let's hope for Amazon that we do oh, better yes, because yes. we know what the customers want. Yes, yes, we do. That's right. All right. Well, moving on to our Amazon reinvent lightning round. Peter, take it away. I will. Amazon Guard Duty supports exporting findings to an Amazon S3 bucket. It's it's better than exporting them to a sim, I guess. <laughs> Is it though? Is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Once it's in the S3 bucket, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> Export it to a sim. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're then going to use it, it uh, with your Athena queries, right? That's. I mean, it's, it's so you can export guard duty from multiple accounts because it's not multi-account aware right now. So you export data from multiple accounts to S3 and then aggregate it there with Athena or something else. So yeah. Parameter store announces enhanced search experience. I can't think of anything worse than trying to use SSM documents and trying to search the parameter store interactively to solve a production outage. I just, I, I can't think of much worse than that. <laughs> That's just a terrible scenario that I don't ever want to live through. Yeah, it's parameter store is something that you should know what's there. You shouldn't have to search it. <laughs> yeah, and especially if it's part of systems manager and, and that service, I, I just don't know what I'm what I'm doing. Why, why would I be searching for it in code? I, I just don't get it. Oh, because you're going to write, I'll tell you why you're writing your Terraform and you're like, oh, that's right. That thing is in parameter store. I need to go get it. Where is it again? And you go to parameter store and you're like, I don't remember if we did slash platform slash app or slash app slash platform. And you spend forever trying to find the effective URL to the parameter store, right? The whole, the full path. Uh, and, uh, and then you want search. And you're like, why can't I just type in SQL and have it find me all of the things that have SQL in? I don't think it's supposed to be an interactive type uh, feature or experience. Like, console supports searching for a key with a particular pattern in the name, and it will return you all the keys and all the values. And I think it's more about um, an application w w searching for a number of keys in one call rather than having to make separate calls for every single key that he wants. So, you know, you could, you could store your parameters with, with names matching, you know, an environment name or an application name or something else, a known pattern at least, and retrieve all that data in one call instead of having to make subsequent calls. I think it's the UI. And I think you can go to the UI and type something in there and have all the parameters that have that string as the key. I don't know. Let's move on <laughs> before we rat hole. <laughs> no, I want a rat hole. Let's go. No. Okay. Uh, Amazon Redshift announces a console refresh to improve management and monitoring of your data warehouse. It can't get much worse than it was. <laughs> oh, come on, Jonathan. <sighs> I just, you can't compete with that kind of scathing attack on uh, on the AWS console. <laughs> it's, but it's so easy to attack the AWS console. It's... Which one, though? That's the question. Which <laughs> one? I know, that's the problem. Is it the S3 one? Is it the Dynamo one? Is it the Redshift one? Is it the new SSM consoles? Come on. I mean, CloudFormation EC2 changed in the last few, oh, 
like a few days or weeks. I don't know. I don't use the console that often, but and they have this feedback thing now. We'd love your feedback on this console. And my feedback is just stop changing it, please. Stop. Yeah, really. <laughs> just make it fit on my tiny screen on my laptop because now you've got these wonderful toolbars on the left and the top and everything else. I have to literally scroll like way off the side of the page to find anything. It's it, yeah, it's lame. Yeah, Amazon DynamoDB adaptive capacity now handles imbalanced workloads better by isolating frequently accessed items automatically. Wow, that is a title that only a marketing person would love. <laughs> so they are sharding based on usage as well as on some kind of data pattern. That's awesome. That is good, though. That's a great feature. It is a good feature. And I could imagine when the marketing person was talking to the engineer saying, "Just I just need one <laughs> line that describes it. And the engineer is giving just 15 sentences. That was tough <laughs> to get it down to one line. It was, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazon SNS adds support for dead letter queues. I mean, like Jonathan, he's been in the dead letter queue all round. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh. personal attacks. <laughs> <honey>. Wow. <laughs> See, we're getting a little feisty. It's been a few hours of recording. We're, we're a little bit, we're almost done. We're almost there. Amazon Redshift launches cross instance restore. Exactly. The amazement, <laughs> the amazement that this wasn't a thing, is shocking. So you can, so hang, hang on, you, you can back up your data and you can restore it to a different Redshift instance. That that's what I understand this to be uh, of a different size or a different different. Okay, so Amazon CloudWatch launches embedded metric format. Allows you to ingest complex, high cardinality application data in the form of logs and easily generate actionable metrics from them. It has traditionally been hard to generate actual custom metrics from your ephemeral resources such as Lambda functions and containers. With this launch, you do not have to rely on complex architecture or multiple third-party tools to gain insights into these environments. So this is basically their way of saying, you don't need Honeycomb I.O. You can do it with our tool, which is not true because I think this is baby steps towards a much bigger solution. AWS Lambda supports Python 3.8, Node.js 12, Java 11, and Baker Code 3.0. <laughs> Victory is mine. <laughs> uh, that was great. I, I have to give it to you. I had to, I had to, to figure you. out. Like this is this is, took a lot of planning on my part and some foresight the other day. I was like, you know, how could I slip something in here to trip Peter up in the lightning round? And I was like, you know what? I'll just make up a, a new programming language that's never existed before, and then I'll make the URL look just like all the other URLs in this big batch of nothing. So, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I, you know, I, I had not even noticed you'd added the, the, the fake-looking URL for that thing, too. That's amazing. Which, if you click on it, just is a repeat of the same URL for Java 11, which, nice. you know, excellent on my part. Excellent. Yes. That's, that's but uh, glad to see Java 11 and Node.js 12 and Python 3.8. So that's, those are great features for Lambda. Glad to see that. And if Baker Code was a thing, Jonathan would Maybe be rich Maybe I'm going to invent it. I'm going to invent Baker Code just to spite you. You should buy the DNS for it right now. Bakercode.com, yeah. Yeah, and then you can make a new programming language, Jonathan, built on built on hate and snark. <laughs> I guarantee you, in my <laughs> Baker code, white space will absolutely matter. Please, no. <laughs> Tabs or spaces, Jonathan? That's the most important question of your language. Is it, <laughs> and is it, is it a YAML language or is it JSON? Because we have words so I, YAML. As you know, I'm banking on codeless application development. I, I am curious to see what all the hype has been about for the last six months of the rumor mill of what zero-code deployments look like uh, in AWS. Uh, and 
I saw Visual Studio Code try to do something that wasn't quite what I thought it would be, and so I'm curious to see. I'm curious as to how it's going to look or work. Like, is it going to be like a, like the, the Scratch applications where you kind of drag these big blocks of get this data from here and drag another thing that kind of plugs into it like a jigsaw piece that says do this thing? I mean, like every every 10 years or so, computer science people say, I figured out a way to do no code, and then they come up with a solution, and it works for like one set of particular use cases, and then it, it goes off into oblivion. Remember... What was that web design application code language front page? Remember that? Oh, God. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I developed in that. I used front page. Uh, I, so I didn't use too much front page. I did use a lot of Dreamweaver back in the day, but uh, not a lot of front page. Uh, and Cold Fusion. Uh, Cold Fusion, yeah. yeah. Both those tools could turn a simple Hello World page into like a, a 50K document full of crap. <laughs> oh, you ever... <laughs> Uh, back in, I think it was like Office 2000, you could export a, a Word document as a HTML file. Yeah, oh, man, that was bad code. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking on that one, but uh, there you go. Yeah. All right, uh, Peter, who won the lightning round this week? Justin, congratulations. That little Baker code uh, incident cost you the win. Let's ah, make that it. a Jonathan. <laughs> 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 the last laugh is what that's called. <laughs> Indeed. But it was so worth it. It was so worth it. Because we've been trying for we've been trying for months to catch you up on something that we changed in the in the lightning round. And I feel victorious. Dude, I in this. felt hook, line, and sinker for that one. You, you did, you did. I set that one up well. Excellent. I started thinking too as I'm reading, I'm like, what is Baker code? This is I, now I gotta go learn something. Ugh. <laughs> Amazing. And you're and you're so far behind. It's the third version of it. That's the worst part. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, this episode will probably drop right around Thanksgiving time frame. So as you are running away from your relatives at Thanksgiving dinner, you can uh, listen to our pontification about what's happening at reInvent, hopefully, in our draft. And we will catch you all on the other side of reInvent. Uh, we might do some live stuff, like some really quick, you know, recap stuff. We don't know yet. We're we're debating it. Uh, so don't count on that. But if it happens, there'll be some bonus episodes in the feed to check out. There'll be kind of some quick recaps that we do from our Airbnb. And we will be uh, back with a recap show of epic proportions, I'm sure, uh, sometime shortly after the conference is over. We look forward to seeing you at reInvent. Do at Twitter us uh, if you're around and you want to meet up. Uh, we will have stickers and pins and all kinds of stuff. And we'd just love to say hello to you if you're an active listener of the show. Uh, we would love to meet you face to face. So, oh, and uh, other one plug: we will be uh, starting to send out a newsletter, which is a recap of the show. And so, if you're interested in getting that uh, newsletter on a weekly basis when the episode drops, go to our website and sign up for the newsletter today. Uh, we're super excited about what's coming on that, which will be sometime in uh, December. The first one of those will drop uh, for all your lovely inboxes. And thank you guys very much. We'll see you at reInvent, guys. Excited to see you all three of you in one place. I think we've. We've been kind of scattered across different conferences where one or two of us is there, but uh, this will be the first one we're all three together at. So Yeah. Super excited. Me too. Indeed. We'll see you guys there. Jonathan doesn't want to say goodbye. He's like, ah, screw <laughs> <No>. you all. <laughs> Yeah, I just want to mention the people who've joined the Slack channel recently. Since we've, we've started mentioning it at the beginning of the show, we've had quite a few more people join, including uh, Curtis and who else is this? Wayne Taylor and a couple of other guys. So yeah, it's, uh, it's good to come join us in Slack. Uh, you can sign up from uh, thecloudpod.net. Yeah, it's been super great to talk to people and, and hear how you guys find the show and what you're enjoying. And, uh, you know, some people have recommended setting up a, you know, ask the cloud pod type segment. And so we would love to get questions. Uh, we talked about doing it very early in the show when we didn't really have an audience yet. So uh, if you guys have questions or things that you want to know from us, uh, definitely hop onto the Slack channel, 
ping that to us on the general chat, and uh, we will add them on a show in the future, and we'll answer your questions. Uh, from how does Peter take care of his luscious hair, uh, to <laughs> how, do, how does Jonathan edit the podcast, we will answer it all, and we will take you from there. So, All right, see you guys all in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, see you there. <laughs> see you. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Mm-hmm.